I pray you're coming to church expectant, man. There's such a great move of God happening here at Oasis, and I want to encourage you that if you're new here, uh, God's been moving in this church for 35 years. Come on, give it up for that. And um, actually, you definitely don't want to miss church the first weekend of April, April 7th, because April 8th is our 35-year anniversary as a church. And so the day before on that Sunday, April 7th, we're going to be celebrating, celebrating all that God has done. Man, if you want God to do something in the future, man, can I just give somebody a word? You got to learn to celebrate better. God actually had forced celebrations. He like, yo, y'all going to celebrate. You're going to have a party. I know that much. We're gonna, and I just feel as believers sometimes we don't celebrate enough. We're too quick to move on and too quick to believe for the next thing. And I want to encourage you to join us at that celebration the first week of April. I'm excited to preach today. I, I never take it for granted, consider an honor and a privilege that I'm allowed to share what God is speaking to me uh, on behalf of our pastors and really behalf of what the Spirit is doing in this city. If you were here last week for the sermon Trust Fund Babies, anybody here last week for the sermon? If you weren't here, you got to watch that sermon because last week I talked about that was literally maybe the most important revelation God had ever given me about my identity, what he had for me, and how I had to grow and mature to get ready for what God had. But today I want to share a different word, but along the same lines, I believe that uh, what I'm trying to do is that God would use me to prepare you for what God has for you because so much of the delay in our life is a lack of preparation or a lack of expectation or those two things tied together. So I'm hoping that what I share today prepares you for what God has for you. We shouldn't be spending so much time stressed about our future. God promises we have a plan, a purpose, a future. We want to spend our time getting ready for it. Does that make sense? And so turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 15. We're going to read about a brother who wasn't ready. 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 23. We're going to read all 23 verses. Do you mind? Come on, 10 of y'all. The rest of y'all say, just read seven. I got to go. I'm late for says, one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of the heavens armies has declared. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Um, I, I, I understand we are with an audience this large that there are probably some people in here that are justice people. And I have some people in my life who are justice people, and we're all, as believers, so, supposed to be for justice. We want the things to be, go the right way, but never confuse being a justice person with you have to have justice for yourself. You have to fight and claw your way to the top. If somebody doesn't give you a promotion that you have to fight and argue and send angry emails to get it, sometimes in certain seasons, God decides to settle accounts for the people who have come against you. Can you imagine? Let me tell you something. And, and, it, and it, when God moves, when God's hands move, God's hands are, are heavy. Sorry, Lord, but he's moved in my life and it's never felt like a feather. When God has moved me, it's been like a brick. I'm like, God, like I wanted a tender, soft touch from heaven to get me to do something. When God forces me to do something, it's like he hasn't lotioned his hand in 3,000 years. I feel it all rough on the back of my neck. And it's just tough 
when the Lord decides he's going to settle an account. You can actually move forward, live righteous, live by faith, and God will start to settle some accounts. There's some things that the enemy has tried to stop you from getting, and God in this season is saying, I'm getting ready to settle an account. And so they didn't even have the strength to fight the Amalekites, which is why they had been around for 100 years. But God stepped in and said, now is the time. And so he tells them, I've decided to do this. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, everybody, because they kept springing back up and killing Israelites. And then it said in verse 4, so Saul mobilized his army at Telayim. So we're, we're the people of God, we're the children of God, like we learned last week, but in certain seasons, we are also the army, the, the military of heaven. There's certain things you're gonna have to fight for. And so this is coming to church is not just, oh, I can do this at home. I can, yes, you can pray at home. Yes, you can encounter God at home. But when you come to church on a Sunday, it's the mobilization of God's people so that we move together in unity. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, so, Saul mobilized his army, and there were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to, the, to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. They were in Studio City just waiting. They're getting ready to take some people out. And so Saul sent this warning to the Kenites, move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. They got up out of there. We out. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept, kept the best. Wait a minute. We, we were just talking a few moments ago, ago about giving our best, but this doesn't say he gave the best. It says he kept the best. A couple of verses earlier, God says destroy everything, but he kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything. In fact, he kept what appealed to them. He didn't have the capacity to let go of a good thing. He didn't have the capacity to do it. And I'm like, man, I don't even think I would let go of sheep and goats and cattle. And like, I have this thing in my heart where I'm like, I have a hard time letting go of certain things, you know? And I have a hard time letting go of, of money. I have a hard time. God's asking me, man, me and my wife are on the strictest budget right now, man. Oh, you gotta pray for us. Cause God's been saying, hey man, like don't you got enough t-shirts? You know, don't you got enough shoes? I'm like, no. Just cause they wore sandals in your day don't mean, this is how I talk to God. They didn't have Jordans back then. So you didn't have the same temptations, Jesus. Big toe all in its own slot, walking through the desert. That's not me. So it says everything. They kept everything. And they only got rid of the things that didn't appeal to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he's not been loyal to me. Isn't it crazy how what God gives me can challenge my loyalty to him? Like, ah, man. I, I, I want to be loyal to God, but God's blessing me. And he says, he has not been loyal to me, and he refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went, whoa, <laughs> set up a monument to himself. You know he was struggling. Like, I'm going to build a monument to myself. It would be like a basketball player going 
and you come out of a game and there's a, a former player, James Worthy, just putting his own statue outside the Staples Center, like just putting it together. Like what? You don't do that. And there was actually only two leaders in the Bible that did this. It was him and it was um, Absalom. And they both died terrible, tragic deaths. You don't build the monument to yourself. And then he went on to Gilgal. And when Samuel finally saw him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. You say spiritual stuff when you're disobedient. May the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's command. No, he didn't. Most of the time we announce what we're doing for God, we're probably not doing it. I've carried out the Lord's command. No, you didn't. Just trying to trust God. Nobody says they're trying to trust God if they're actually trusting God. Anytime I've ever said that, I'm not trusting God at all. I'm just trying to trust God. No, you're not. He says, I, I did everything he said. And then, I love Samuel. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they're just going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, knock it off. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. Saul's still in denial. What did he tell you? And Samuel told them, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord. Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats. It wasn't me. It's not my fault. The troops did it. Remember what Adam said? The woman you gave me told, gave me that. For, no, he's just blaming people. Then the troops brought in the best of the goats, sheep, cattle, and plundered a sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices, everything you do for God? I love what Jamaica shared earlier. What's more pleasing, everything you do for God or your obedience to his voice, which replies relationship? What makes God happier? What you do? See, there is a scripture in the Bible where, where it says that Jesus said some people, he would, in, in the day of judgment, he would say, when, you, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And the believers were like, what are you talking about? And he says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. See, when you walk in maturity, I love what Bob Goff said, when you, when you walk in maturity, sometimes it's not ministry, it's just Tuesday. It's just what you do. This is just, you don't even know you're doing it for God. It's just what you do, it's who you've become. And then there's another passage of scripture where the people say, look at all these things we did for you. We prophesied, we did all this stuff, we raised from the dead, we healed the sick, and Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. It's not about everything you did for me. I didn't even know you. So what's better? Sacrifice and all you do or obedience to his voice? And then Samuel gives him the answer. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. I went into my kitchen one day and my wife was just, had the fat of rams. I said, you know, submission is better than that. <laughs> Hopefully she's not watching online. I, said, I always say that stuff when she's not here. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. Come on, stubborn people. Come on, I'm just, I'm just stubborn. Don't we give ourselves titles and justify it? Well, you know me, I'm just stubborn. Nobody would ever say, you know me, I just worship idols. <laughs> you know me, just into that witchcraft. 
but actually talks about some of the issues in our heart are just as bad. You, you, oh my gosh, this is so convicting. I'm like reading, I'm dying reading this. It says, so because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. I want to share a message called treasure and trash. Treasure and trash. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your sons and daughters would be encouraged, built up in their faith, so they get all that God that you have for them in this next season and the seasons to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I talked about sharing the most important revelation I believe God has given me. It's one of identity and it's one of maturity because I needed to um, not just spend so much time praying that God would show up, but I need to ask God to show up to help me grow up, to get ready for what God has for me. And so last week was arguably the most important revelation I've ever gotten from the Lord, but this week is one of the hardest. How I view treasure and how I view trash. This is very, very difficult. And God actually, as I was praying for all of you this morning, I felt like he wanted me to tell you that believers are in the fire in this season. In the fire you're in, and the fire represents these trials and things that you're going through, or, or your fire could be waiting. You're not going through anything. And maybe some of you, you wish maybe there was something going on, but maybe the fire is just seeming to be a pause in what you thought had so much momentum, or your fire is a, is a family situation, or your fire is you're trying to believe God for something, but honestly, you're, are, you, are you going crazy? Did God really say that? And, and we're all in some type of fire. I don't know what it is, but, but we're in a fire. And what fire does for a treasure is that it refines it. But what it does for trash is it burns it. And so God is showing me that we're in a fire right now as a church, one, to show us and refine the treasure. See, everything God has given you in this season, his heart, the character, the hope, the faith, those things get refined in fire. But everything you're not supposed to have, the fear, the discouragement, the insecurity, all the trash gets burned in the fire. And what happens is we can actually become discouraged when we've held on to something that God would deem as trash, and now we have to watch it burn. And we're saying, God, this is actually the cremation of my dreams. No, it is not. God is refining, refiner's fire. He's refining what he views in you to be a treasure. God has to send you through the fire because you're a treasure. Gold actually has to go through fire before we actually put it in a wedding ring. Before it can be shown off to the world, it's got to go through the fire. And the fire burns out all the impurities of the gold. You need this fire. You need it. I know it. I know it's terrible, but you need it because God's trying to show you the difference between treasure and trash. You know, this is one of the biggest issues why they didn't even believe that Jesus was the son of God or that he was God because he didn't come and do all the things they considered were a treasure. And then he spent all this time with people who they thought were trash. And so they had a hard time believing that God would actually hang out with certain people. That, that God would actually allow them to be under the Roman rule. 
that God would actually allow. They were treated like slaves. If he's God, won't he come and give us the treasures that we've been waiting for and we'll rule together? And they had a hard time believing him, but he brought something else. He said, the treasure is in you. When he said the kingdom of God was near, he, didn't, he wasn't talking about outer circumstances. He was talking about their heart. He came to bring the treasure out of their heart. And they had a hard time with it. And I have a hard time with it. Do you know the good news of the gospel? That Jesus came, died for you and I, shed his blood so that you and I would be washed clean of our sin, forgiven of every wrong we've ever done. And freely and boldly, we can come into the presence of God. And not only do we come in in the presence of God, we come as his family, righteous, as sons and daughters, all because of the finished work of the cross. That is the good news. And you know why only a few people clapped or the people who did didn't clap loud? I, I, people say that and I'm like, so good. And I don't celebrate because deep down I'm waiting for some better news. We all have iPhones. We all, well not some of us, some of us still have Blackberries, but I get it. Can't let go. We're all waiting on an email or a text message or some announcement that is better news than the gospel. And so we can't actually walk in joy because we, don't, we, think, we, we think it's good news, not the best news. It's the best news you could ever get. All news underneath that is trash compared to the treasure of the good news. So you can't live in joy, you can't live in hope, because deep down, there is really something that if you found out today, you'd be happier. Deep down. There's a conversation with somebody, if you had it, and it go, there's, there's, a, there's a, come on, you log on to your bank account, and you find out there's 30 million, you'd lose your mind. Oh! We did it. You alone yelling, we did it. That's how high, yelling, we did it, and you by yourself. And we're waiting on better news. Felt like one of the biggest differences between trash and treasure is the church has got to stop waiting on better news. We got to stop waiting on better news. We have the best news ever. Does God, your Father in heaven, ever tell you something and you don't think it's good news? You feel like you're about to go to the mountaintop, have a mountaintop season, and he tells you, oh, you're going to stay where you're at, and you don't, you don't feel like it's good news? I'm going to show you a video of my kids that will give you an example of how many of us respond when the Father in heaven tells us something. Turn your attention to the screen. Guys, what? if you listen today, wait, no, I'm going to tell you where you're going to go. What? If you listen today, guys, guess where daddy's going to take you? Where? To Discovery Cube. <laughs> Dallas. The second place, Dad. You're not excited about Discovery Cube? No. Why? The second place. Dallas. The second place. Wait, hold on. Dallas is not excited. Dallas. Wow. We're gonna show the video again because I believe God is trying to speak to you, and heaven is zooming in on your face. And you're seeing a picture of what it looks like when God speaks to you. All right, show the video one more time. Guys, what? 
if you listen today, wait, no, I'm going to tell you where you're going to go. If you listen today, guys, Come on, he's guess where daddy's going to take you? Where? To Discovery Cube. <laughs> now this is you. Look at you. Look at you. Look how you're looking. Second one. Dallas. The second place, You're not excited about Discovery Cube? No. Why? The second place. Dallas. The second place. Wait, hold on. Dallas is not excited. Dallas. Now, I don't want to let my daughter off the hook, you guys, because this video, actually, my kids represent how we can all be as believers. See, God, the father said something, and, and one of my kids was pumped, and the other kid was like, that's not good news. <laughs> See, what happened was, as I said, I have a surprise for you. I have a mystery for you. You know, the Bible calls God a mystery. And as believers, we don't know how to live in the mystery. So what my, my, daughter, my son did in the mystery is he filled in the gap about what he thought would be a treasure. And when I gave him something different, I found out later that he filled in that gap with Chuck E. Cheese. So anything I said less than Chuck E. Cheese was not good news. And so we fill in the mystery with what we think is a treasure. And if the father says anything different, we don't want anything to do with it. But then, what you might not notice about the video is before I started filming, I, I told my kids, I have two things I want to tell you. Two things I want to tell you that are surprising. Bailey, my daughter, jumped up and down when she heard the first thing. But if you listen to the video, she stopped cheering pretty quickly and said, what's the next thing? <laughs> the second thing, Dad? The second thing? Right? Some of y'all, you've been getting, wait, waiting to get married for... 10 years, you're, you're a newlywed. You're like, yay! Okay, the second thing, Dad, second thing, second thing. We stopped celebrating really quick. I, I don't want the church to be a church that prays for something 10 years, gets it, and praises for 10 seconds. Because if you do, we're like confusing trash and treasure. Actually, the things that God gives you are trash compared to the treasure of having relationship with him. I, I understand why Saul maybe made the choice that he made because we see the, the beginning of his call. He didn't feel like he was rich, so he kept things. He didn't feel like his relationship with God and his relationship with God's people made him rich, so he kept the things to make him feel rich. And I feel like God has given us a mission He's given us a call, go and make disciples of all nations, heal the sick, raise the dead, don't forget to gather as a church, and we don't think those things are a treasure. And so the enemy, sometimes, if he can't make you sin, he'll make you a treasure hunter. Go in search of things that'll never fulfill you, never bring you what the joy of the Lord can bring you. One of the things I did get right with my kids was when my daughter was three years old, I picked her up from preschool, and she said, Daddy, there's a girl at my school who's rich. Are we rich? And I said, yes, we are. She said, how much money we got? I said, first of all, how much money do we have? I paid $300 for that school, and I paid too much money for you to be coming in this car talking about how much we got. 
how much we got. I'm going to drive back to that school, get my money back. My daughter just said, how much we got? What are y'all doing in here? So I said, yeah, babe, we are rich. How much money do we have? So, well, no, 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 no. We're not rich with money. But we have Jesus. We have a lot of people who we love and love us. So we are so rich. So rich. She's like, huh? She says, so, she's three. So Sydney makes us rich? And Sydney at the time was our, was our nanny and she's now my sister. She said, so Sydney makes us rich? I said, yep, Sydney makes us rich. And I quote, Philip and Holly makes us rich? Yep, balling out of control. <laughs> We're rich. She started going down a list of people that she loves and loves us. Jesus makes us rich? Yeah, because we have him. And she, in the back seat, I saw her smile. She just got, she just loved the idea that we were rich, but it's not an idea, it's true. And if you don't know that, then you will actually hold on to something you deem a treasure that God says it's trash. And here's the hard part. Oh my gosh, this is so hard because it's not trash in definition, it's trash in comparison. It's not trash by definition, by definition it's amazing. It's not trash by definition, it's trash in comparison when held next to the glory of the Lord. So if you're not holding up things in comparison to your relationship with God, then you will be treasure hunting the rest of your life. And this is what happened to Saul. And, and it began even when he was called. Look at 1 Samuel 10, verses 20 through 22. It says, so Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord. The tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord. And the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. In this context, he was hiding with real baggage. In this, in the context I'm talking about, I believe we have baggage in our soul that makes us hide from God and hide from people, where we give people our representative of who we want to be, not our true selves. And we get lost and we can't answer the call of God because we're hiding in the baggage. He started his journey as king, not believing who he was. He started his journey. And so then in 1 Samuel 15, when God spoke to Samuel and said, I want you to kill all your enemies, the Amalekites, Saul was unable to do that because he valued what the people thought. He valued having what he deemed was a treasure. And God is not telling us we're not in a season of literal war, but this is a spiritual war, and God wants me to tell you you have some of your enemies that are still alive. And you keep praying, I keep praying, we keep praying for the next thing, the next blessing, but God said all, all of the insecurity, all of the fear, all of the anxiety, all of the shame, all of the habits that we know separate us from God alone, kill them all. And we think because God is in his grace that we can actually have just some leftover fear just in the back dangling in a baggage and it doesn't work like the airport works. 
When you fly on American Airlines and you have baggage, you go to baggage claim and pick it up at your next destination. But how it works in the kingdom, God takes you somewhere and the enemy opens up your baggage and the very thing you didn't kill destroys what God gave you. Do you know the Amalekites showed up to David and, and took all of his stuff, took all of his stuff, took his wives, took his children, and God had said, all these people have got to go. And now later, I don't want our descendants and future generations fighting anxiety you were supposed to kill. I don't want my son fighting insecurity I was supposed to kill. I don't want my grandchildren fighting fear that I was supposed to kill. I'm telling you right now, some of you are fighting something right now that your grandmother was supposed to kill. And because she left it alive, now you got to fight. Don't leave it alive. Don't leave it alive. It has got to go. There's things in our soul that God says this thing has got to die. And when we're in the fire season and we're trying to decide what's treasure or what's trash, like don't you get discouraged and then all of a sudden you're just trying to make everything spiritual. Somebody told me the other day, man, these butterflies, it's, it's spiritual. Something's going on. And <laughs> See all these butterflies? God's moving. I'm like, hey, man, it might be spiritual. But can I be honest, that, ain't, that is not the way I want God to move. When my rent is due, I don't need no butterfly. I need a check. You know what's a miracle to me? A bunch of checks flying around through the air and you just snatch one out. You snatch one out. Come on. Come on. Anybody, any single people waiting for a husband? Right? Forget a butterfly. You just want to see that brother just flap. Just, oh, shoot. Hallelujah. Butterflies are spirit. If it is spiritual for God, I don't want a butterfly. If it is spiritual, I need you to move more powerful than that. We spiritualize everything when we're in a tough season. It might be God, but I don't need another butterfly. I need God to deal with my heart. Does that make sense? Saul was struggling with this. And then later, not only did he not, you know, kill all the enemies, but he kept stuff he wasn't supposed to keep. This is like literally my life. This is literally my entire life up until this point not killing things God wants me to kill and keeping things God doesn't want me to keep. My entire life is summed up. Prior to Jesus, I can sum up my entire life with those two things. Not killing things God wants me to kill and keeping things God doesn't want me to keep. Just holding on for dear life. So it says in 1 Samuel 15, 15, that when he kept the things he wasn't supposed to keep, he said, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. He was being disobedient and then trying to say that he wanted to bless God with, with his disobedience. I want to tell you something. You can never bless the Lord with the fruit of your disobedience. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. He wants you. He doesn't want it. 
He wants you. So you could, I could disobey God and walk away from the church and go out there and do what I've always wanted to do, which is music, disobey God, win 18 Grammys, get up there and, and sing some janky, what that blue face dude that has that janky song and then make that crazy song and then get up there and say, uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank God. You got a song called Tatiana? God don't care about that. And then I'm going to go give 10 million to the Lord. I can't bless the Lord with the fruit of my disobedience. God doesn't want it. He wants me. He doesn't want it. He wants you. The Bible says do everything you do as unto the Lord. So God isn't happier with the Grammy Award winning songwriter than he is with the, with the, with the barista at Starbucks with the black apron. Because you ever see a barista at Starbucks with a black apron? They are legit. They went through coffee making. <laughs> legit. Make you the most fire cappuccino. And we think that God views Starbucks as trash and the Grammy as treasure. And he doesn't. He says, do everything you do like it's a treasure. If you do everything that you do is under the Lord, it's like a treasure. And Saul didn't understand this, and he thought he could bless God with the fruit of his disobedience. And look what Samuel told him in 1 Samuel 15, 17. Samuel told him what the real issue is. Although you think little of yourself. Man, I, this is a tough word, man. I don't, I don't like when God... He gives me this word. I want to jump in that playpen and tell you. You gotta, you want the promise, you gotta get out the playpen. That's some kind of messages I want to preach. This message is destroying my life. Because it's me. And I, I'm like, this is me. Literally. This is me. He says, although you think too little of yourself, and you would be surprised that I that I, that there hasn't, you'd be surprised to hear that there's season I think little of myself. But it's not that I think little of myself by definition. And again, it's comparison. I value what God does through me more than I value how God views me. I value what God does. I will say it again. I, for you, because you asked. I will value what God does through me more than I value his view of me. Deep down... Deep down, because I'm the chaplain of an L.A. sports team, what's, what needs to die is I think that's better. Because I got to tell you, you heard that testimony last week. If you weren't here, I became the chaplain of an L.A. sports team. And that was by grace, because last September, I didn't coach my daughter's soccer team because I was too busy. When the Clippers show up, all of a sudden I can make it work. Because deep down, that validates something that I need to be validated. And I'm not saying that God didn't bring me that opportunity, but I started thinking, when soccer season rolled back around, we signed Bailey up Saturday, I'm coaching. I'm not going to view encouraging a professional basketball team more than encouraging six-year-olds. Because 
I, I don't want to view that opportunity. I did that in September. That opportunity was trash. This new opportunity is treasure. And, and then I'm realizing, and I feel like God is more proud of me because I'm coaching the team and I'm, I'm learning the difference between treasure and, and trash. I'm learning to treasure things that other people don't treasure. And I'm learning to call trash what other people think is a treasure. And it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And people don't help me because they celebrate what God thinks is trash. And God isn't really in the validation. He's in the affirmation. I'm going to affirm you before you do what you do. That's why he tries to give us clues in scriptures. Man, I called you before the foundations of the earth were laid, before you even had a chance to go on an audition. I called you and approved of you. And I knew there would be this day where you and I would meet face to face. And as a loving father, I would transform you into the image of the son, Jesus Christ. That is truly the treasure. You. You. You know what God's excited about? The same thing. You. God was so excited when he created the earth for you. He said he found it dark and void without form. And God said, let there be light. There wasn't anybody there. Who was he talking to? He just said it. He was excited to bring an environment to put. He spent six days on the place that he wanted to put you in and a moment on you. How beautiful is that, that God would give us himself. The greatest gift ever was Jesus. God in the beginning said, let there be light. Can you imagine? I don't know what in your life feels like trash, but can you imagine God showing up to the earth and saying, this is trash. And then God said, let there be light. Now, I don't know what in your life feels like trash, or maybe you're here and you feel like trash, but I want to give you something. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 through 7 say this. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are servants for, you, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, for God who said, let there be light, has made this light shine in our hearts. The, the same light that illuminated the earth, God says he put in you. So why do we keep praying that God would turn trash to treasure? Because if that same light is in you, then when you show up, trash becomes treasure. When you pray for someone who is in a dark place, trash becomes treasure. When you see someone who's in the worst sin and you speak life over them and you encourage them, trash becomes treasure because the same light that turned the world from trash to treasure lives in you. In you. I want you to stand to your feet. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for you. Maybe you've come in here and you're in a situation that feels like trash and God's trying to change your perspective to make you realize that what you think is failure is favor. What you think is trash 
is treasure. God's trying to change somebody's perspective. I wanna pray for another group of people where you came in here and you were feeling like trash. That is not true. You are God's treasure. The Bible says you are God's masterpiece. God is working on you and he loves you just the way you are. He's gonna work on you and form you with a loving father's heart so that you can step into who you were always meant to be. Christianity is not following the rules. Christianity is God helping us become who we were always meant to be. Who we were always meant to be. And I wanna pray for a third group of people that actually you're in a season like I'm in where you're not trying to define trash by definition, you're trying to define trash by comparison. That when you hold up something that you thought was a treasure to your relationship with Jesus, you need to just set that thing aside. I know God spoke it to you. I know you wanna do it. I know it's the call of God in your life, but it's trash compared to Jesus. It's trash compared to grace. It's trash compared to glory. It's trash compared to the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. It doesn't mean as much. It, it doesn't mean as much as it means to you. It doesn't mean that much. I'm in this season of my life when I first got saved, I was trying to decide between the difference of what was not important and what was important. Now it's what is important and most important. I walk out the house, everything I do is important, but what's most important? I don't know if any of those areas relate to you, but if they do, lift your hands to the heavens. We're gonna pray for you right now. We're gonna worship God. I'm believing God's gonna speak to you hands going up everywhere. Father, I thank you, your sons and daughters are here. God, right now, give them the revelation, the discernment, the knowledge to know the difference between trash and treasure. God, right now, I proclaim over their life that they have never been trash. I don't care what their father said or didn't say. I don't care what their boss said or didn't say. But right now, I'm speaking over them. You are the treasure of God. You know the value of something by what someone's willing to pay for it. And Jesus sent his son, spent all his blood. Ephesians chapter 2 says that you were purchased with the blood of Jesus. Now, I know you don't feel valuable, but you cannot argue that if you had one vial of the blood of Jesus, that it would be absolutely priceless. So if one vial of the blood of Jesus is priceless, and the Bible says that he shed all his blood for you, then how priceless, how much of a treasure are you?